this is Welcome back to Warp Celluloid, the best podcast for far out films. I'm your host, Jack Rourke, with my co-host, Chandler Williams. How are you doing today, man? I'm good, Jack. How are you? I'm pretty far out. Yep. Anyway, so uh, last episode was a bit rough, and I'm not going to say this one's going to be any better. Hopefully, but you never know. Yeah, we're, we're trying our best. We're uh, learning. Yep. Today's uh, film is also a bit rough and sketchy. Uh, what would it be? Be a... I would, I would call it lazadaisical. That's a good word for it. I'd, I'd call it psychedelic and fascinating. Today, we, of course, are talking about Ralph Bakshi's 1977 animated cult classic, Wizards. In Wizards, you will also meet the lovely Princess Eleanor, the loyal elf, Weehawk, and Peace, Black Wolf's evil robot henchman, who is transformed into an avenging instrument of justice. Wizards is a Tolkien world of fairies and elves, sorcerers, and demons. It is shot 10 million years from now against strange and huge panoramic settings. And it is more fantastic, more enchanting, and more powerful than anything you've seen before. Wizards. The ultimate futuristic fantasy epic. Okay, so that was the trailer. Um, enticing you a little bit? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Have you ever actually seen anything by Ralph Bakshi before seeing this? Like, are, was this uh, anything uh, you had context for, or was this a first time going in? This was my first time going in. You introduced yeah. me to this, and I, I, was, I thought it was great. It was, uh, you know, definitely different. Something I have not seen before, but yeah. I, I loved it. I'm getting the feeling that's going to be a recurring theme throughout this podcast. Yes, you know, it is. I'm like, more. hey, have you seen this? No? no. Okay, let's talk about this. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we're talking about. Anyway, I like Repo Man. I also discovered this in high school, although I discovered this far sooner. I remember I used to. Mar- year? Um, I think yeah, I was 15 when I first saw it. I was 15. It's like freshman year. Yeah, sophomore. Sophomore. Yeah, oh, yeah. Right around that time. Uh, I remember mostly being struck by the art style. This is a. I hate the phrase style over substance, but. In this case, it is just the case where style is the substance. With animation, I think you can get away with that. Oh, absolutely. Much right. more than film. Yep. Because uh, it's offering something you can't get in live action with the way things move. I'm going to move the colors you can get. I'm going to even get the way it feels. And it's just the, the way people look. Like you can get a distinct style. Yeah. And, um, it's unique. So, definitely one way to put Ralph actually. Yeah, I remember uh, one of my favorite th- ways of describing him was someone calling him a, an American grotesque because all of his designs are so exagger- exaggerated. Like all the guys are slobs and all the girl- girls like twigs with with like um with like balloons taped to them. Like it's all it's all that kind of spastic spastic stream of consciousness looking thing. Like exaggerated. Yeah, just look at something like Heavy Traffic. Traffic. That was the second film he did where it looks like a caricature of a world he knew very very well. Yeah, he was he was a smart guy. Maybe not the guy. Uh, <laughs> he was he, he was burned through a lot of people's money. He was you an know, artist. He was de- he was an interesting artist and a unique one. He ne- his work never was perfect, and I'm struggling to think of anything. 
or anything I call great, but I do love his stuff, and I've always been a fan of it for a while, because you don't get anything else out of this in animation, which... Okay, I want to get to the one of the main reasons I want to talk about this movie before we get into the plot and the char characters and all that fancy stuff. The state of adult animation isn't that great right now. Not that we're not getting good stuff, it's that we're getting too much of the same thing. Yeah, it's definitely an, um, an undermined genre that could yeah. really, you know, a lot of great things could come from it. It could use a lot more diversity in terms of t tone and subject matter, which... Absolutely. Yeah, it's like what happened to when Judd Apatow became influential on comedies is when because everyone just started to imitate that, the whole improv, let's just shoot like a sitcom for 90 minutes and hope to God we get something watchable out of the edit. Yeah, like all all adult animation right now is basically like... All the um, popular stuff at least. Yeah, it's it's just air to the Simpsons and Rick and Morty, which right. is great, but... It's, fu it's fine, but yeah, it's only like... if you It's like going to a buffet and only eating one type of thing from what kind of thing. You might like it, but you're eventually you're going to get sick of it, and you're going to wonder what, if there's anything else out there. Absolutely. Yeah, like, That's why I love uh, Love, Death, and Robots. Yes! I'm so happy that is getting a second season. Yes, it's amazing. Yeah. Wait, is you know there only one is season that, uh, Yeah, there's only one season out right now. It's 18 episodes. Oh, okay. I don't know when the second one's going to drop, but I'm excited. Yeah. You know what's funny is, uh, that was actually going to, going back to uh, late 70s, early 80s adult animation, that was going to be Tim Miller and uh, David Fincher's reboot of Heavy Metal. They were developing in the mid-2000s, but it got scrapped and eventually, eventually it worked its way over to some other people. I think Robert Rodriguez has the rights currently. Don't I remember quote me on you that. telling me that. But uh, David Fincher's still an executive producer. Yeah, he, so is Tim Miller. So oh, okay, Tim Miller. nice. Anyway, they basically, why I mentioned that is they basically took concepts from that reboot when they were going to do and just kind of reworked it into this. Yeah. So it's a sort of spiritual successor. Absolutely. Yeah. What were we talking about again? Uh, wizards. Right, right, wizards, wizards. Of course. Of course. <laughs> So the plot is simple. There's a good wizard. He's got an orange beard. He smokes a lot of cigars. I mean, it's said like 4,000 years in a punk's block, elliptic earth, and somehow he's able to get cigars and TVs. But hey, it's guns. A, it's a fantasy mo movie. It's it's that whole quandary of if you just, if they call the cops, the movie would be over and it would be boring type thing. Yeah. Best not to question it. And then there's also a bad wizard who has bones for arms, which makes me wonder how the blood circulates through his body. But again, animation. Animation. Yeah, who uh, he matter. motivates his evil armies of robot, of robots, bad wizards, um, some sort of troll, goblin-looking things. Up through like Hitler propaganda, like old World War II propaganda film, or any film and stuff. And yeah, that's interesting. Oh yeah. Yep. It, there's also a robot. Oh, right. to see on screen. There's also and there's also a little a little brown elf, or an elf that shoot that shoots things with bows and arrows and not and a um, um, fairy that's got. That looks like a Playboy bunny. Or a bunny with minus the, year, the years and replaced him with wings. And uh, there's this cool red robot with, the, with this blaster sniper-looking thing called Peace. And uh, that might be my favorite designs in any animated movie ever because oh, it's yes. so striking. And I remember when I first saw the post, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm not forgetting that. That is a cool design. It's a cool like, I've seen people design. do it in cosplay, too. Oh really? Yeah, I've seen like statues of it. You know those like McFarlane toys where yeah. they look—they're action figures, but they sell for hundreds of dollars and they look like statues. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen those of it and it looks amazing. Part of that is, of course, because of Ralph Bakshi, but there's a few other interesting names that have worked on this. Uh, one of the ones that sticks out to me is uh, Mike Plug. He was an artist for uh, Marvel Comics in the seven when he's back in the heyday when they were getting back into the heart when they were doing horror stuff, horror stuff, and a lot more uh, non-traditional things. Like he helped create, or he helped do a lot of man thing stuff more. Vampire, uh, House of Secrets, that kind of thing. Actually, I think House of Secrets is DC, but... Okay, my brain's fried. Swamp, swamp Things. Yeah, Man-Thing. Right? Yeah, Man-Thing. Oh, no, yeah, Man-Thing. Man 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 it's thing fine. It's a man. It's one of those things that I think it was intentional. 
the main thing was Marvel, right? Yeah, main thing was Marvel. And I, and Swamp I think thing is they came out. Like, I don't know if they came out before or after, but it was relatively the same time, and that's why people always got them mixed up. Yeah, they're big. I think the, re- the difference between uh, Swamp Thing and Man Thing was because Man Thing was more like I mean, you got into space, space, and uh, it was had a bigger scale and got more cosmic. I mean, oh, okay. it's where Howard the Duck came from. It's where Howard the And in case like you're wondering, swamp. no, we will never talk about Howard the Duck. <laughs> but he's still like a swamp. Yeah, yeah, creature. a swamp creature. Swamp thing was mainly stuck to Earth and dealt with more esoteric things. Like, Alan Moore's run of this is legendary at this point. Oh, uh, like, Alan Moore works on Swamp Thing? Yeah, he did. He wrote, wrote an entire run of it. Wow. And I remember uh, his run actually introduced John Constantine, who... Oh, yeah. Fun fact was modeled after Sting from the police. I could see Yeah, that. if you look at some of the early art, the, I mean, the appearance is dead on to the point where uh, Sting actually uh, recorded the promo wow. of him cosplaying as Constantine. It's it's, uh, it's something else. So that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Anyway, back back to Wizards. Mike, Mike Plug is important because a lot of his influence from that 70s fantasy, horror, horror sci-fi, very geeky genre stuff, that's all over this movie. Absolutely. Anyway, and it reminds me... Brought over. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's an interesting uh, carryover because... It reminds me of one of my favorite things is uh, when it comes to this stuff is uh, the crossover between comics and uh, animation, both in the fandom sense and the professional. In all senses that you can so- see so many stylistic traits, not only stylistic traits, but generally like subject or subject matter fixations and and especially what was going yeah. on in the seventies. Oh god, yeah. The fa- this whole movie, I think it's one of those Van Art movies, something like Legend or The Dark Crystal, or Crystal or Conan the Barbarian. Where the look of it looks like something that should be on a Frank Rosetta poster or t- tattooed on someone's van in like the late seventies. Yes, or yeah. it was in like your older. It looks like a prog rock album cover. Like this whole movie looks like something. I mean, like Roger Dean would have drawn for a Yes album cover. You know, like Tales yes. of the Topographic Oceans and Close to the Edge. Yes, kind of th- I've been listening to a lot of Yes. Yeah, yay! <laughs> I got I got you hooked on Starship Trooper. Didn't oh I? yes, that's such a good song. That Great song. that guitar breakdown in like the last four minutes is perfect. That is bliss when it comes to prog rock. Right there. Speaking of music, the score is actually really interesting. I don't remember the name of the composer. It was Andrew something, and I don't want to type up the IMDb right now because I'm trying to go off memory. And I'm a professional, damn it! I'm a professional. Man, but I remember it is definitely it definitely reflects that prog rock mindset with all the synthesizer. Oh, yes. It's very spacey. One of the most memorable parts of the movie, honestly. Yeah. And it helps build the world. I'm not sure if I can find it anywhere. I'm kind of annoyed. Like I I think I found it on YouTube and surprisingly high quality rip. Right, because I don't think the the actual album would ever came out. Mm. You know, yeah, there's a you'd be surprised by how many famous film scores are hard to find. Like, no, almost none of Tangerine Dream stuff is easy to find on Spotify or iTunes. You have to stick to YouTube for it. Like, a movie as popular as Risky Business doesn't have its soundtrack on iTunes. That's wow. weird, right? That's weird, and not the good kind of weird. Like, yeah, why isn't anyone getting and that? The whole brought. Anyway, this whole movie, I remember when people talk about Star it reminds me of how people talk about Star Wars, like, oh, it's this out-of-nowhere thing. Like, no, if you do the, ma- if you do the math and look what was at the uh, time, it makes sense that this came out at this moment in time. Because Star Wars was a confluence, I mean, a cl- confluence of what was popular in that time, like 70s fantasy stuff, I mean, stuff, new age ideologies, I and mean, wanting the sci-fi to go back to a more uh, pulpy, I mean, a pulpy mainstream adventure kind of route instead of more, something more speculative and heady. Yeah. Less and 2001 and more Flash Gordon. Exactly. Although George Lucas, almost, actually, the reason Star Wars exists is because he couldn't do Flash Gordon. He couldn't get the rights. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, so Wizards is a lot like that, but to a far lesser degree. Like, it's clearly, it is very much a product of its t- time, more obviously than Star Wars, but it doesn't make it bad. I'd argue it actually is part of what makes it great. Yeah, yeah. it's definitely unique. Or it feels yeah. unique. Yeah. 
it is a movie that you could accuse of look of look of being better to look at than it is to actually pay attention to in the narrative sense because absolutely the mer- the narrative is all is kind of sloppy. Well, the best way you put it was uh, calling it a party movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Right. The party. I remember hearing that when people talked about. I remember um, Jacob Knight from Fangoria was talking about reading Grindhouse and he was talking about it in a more positive sense because Grindhouse is a better movie. Yeah. Right, movie. The kind of thing where you can put it on at a party like some. I mean, during the boring bits, you can tune out, but when something cool happens, there's always this guy paying attention on the couch saying, Hey, guys, come over and look at this. This is awesome. We're going to like that uh, car chase at the end of Death Proof, which, yeah. oh my god, one of the best car chases ever. You could just see two, like, two stone guys freaking yeah, out over this like, movie. We're like, far out, man. <laughs> man. Definitely a party movie, though. Yeah, fun. Or a, ba- a good background. A wallpaper. Yes, thing. yes. Like a background. Like, a beautiful, like, I would happily buy an art book of this movie. Oh, it's yeah, like the, the col- coffee, coffee table. Like, I love the acid-soaked skies, like, the, the harsh reds and pink rings and green greens. How it looks like this kind of weird, like, watercolor by way of an acid tet. It's very distinct. Washed. Um, well, it's washed out, but in the best way possible. Well, and it's fa- it has a faded and a sense of, like, physicality and texture, which... It, uh, it adds to the continuity yeah. of the story. Or not of the story. Not, of well, the, not continuity. Or it, the, the continuity of the art style. Yeah, it helps just create a distinct, um... Yeah, a style. Yeah, it's the... Oh, I, Which, what do you think breaks I mi- the distinct style in this film? I don't think anything breaks the style. The movie has problems. It ain't with the stuff. It ain't with how it looks, though. Yeah. I, w- I would say the, um, some of the rotoscoping doesn't Yeah, work. like, oh, right, for the final battles. Yeah. Yeah, they, a, lot of, a lot of the weirder quirks, so. like the fact that a lot of the, the exposition is de- delivered with these, like, me- or these Bristol board, like, story, or any book-looking things was a budgetary oh, thing. Yeah. Like, I think this thing was only made for $2 million at the time. Wow. I mean, like, it was a very... Small budget, and he, Ralph actually, the guy, he was, he reminds me of a lot of other filmmakers, and some far more skilled, like John Carpenter, where they, they had, the problem is that they didn't have imagination, is that their ex- ambitions far exceeded what they were, exceeded what they were able to make. Yeah, and, like, budget. Yeah, which is not much of a problem now, because people can make this stuff on their phone. Oh, exactly. Or, you know, it's all the skill. The skill studios, by studios time. Are just throwing money at people. People need to remember time and context. Con- yeah. Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, I miss hand-drawn animation so much. I'm always an analog guy. Like, I still collect records and mix t- things because, of course, I do. Yeah, I've been big into records. But so. there's something with hand-drawn animation you just don't get with, a, with a 3D animation that kind of... It's a, di- it's a different feel, just like listening to digital or listening to... Yeah, it's like Dis- or, uh, Disney or, uh, do it going... I'm still sad that they don't do anything hand-drawn anymore outside of, like, maybe their TV stuff, but I don't pay attention to that. No. I don't think anyone over the age of eight years old pays <laughs> attention at this point. Do you have Disney Plus? No, of course not. Yeah. <laughs> if I want to watch The Mandalorian, I'll watch it from a buddy. I ain't playing Bob Iger for that. Yeah. I, yeah. You know. Oh right, this is a Fox movie, isn't it? I just remember. I just remember. Um, yeah. And they, I want to say this is the weirdest thing they own now, but. Oh yeah, Disney. They own Fight Club and Z- I think Zardoz. I'm gonna look that up really quick. Disney will own all of us. Yeah, they. W- I remember there was a joke that uh, or that uh, Yahtzee, uh, the game critic for uh, the Escape, has made on Zero Punctuation that people are going to have to how uh, microtransactions are a big thing in games that we're supposed to be mining in like Microsoft's slave pit at some point just for the ca- chance to play an arcade game. It's Amazon Prime. Oh God, Amazon. There's only three corporations I think can realistically take over the world: Disney, Amazon, and okay, maybe not Apple. There's another I, one I, I can't. Would, remember. I would say Apple. It's it, possibly, but the, not real. Possibly not. Google probably. Yeah, Google, Apple. Yeah, there's four. 
Actually, that's four. Disney. And yeah, Disney because they've conv- collectively convinced the world to be ten years old forever. Yeah. Which there's good and bad of that. At this point, we're starting to just see the bad, but oh well. Speaking, going back to dystopias, we go back to um, Wizards, which is set in the far off future of the Earth after a ton of um, nuclear of Holocaust. nuclear bomb, or Holocaust, war, and a bunch of ero- erosion. The world looks different now, and yet somehow we still have what these like really lovely looking for. That looks like something out of Tolkien. Which, oh yeah, very Tolkien. It's so funny that Ralph Bakshi did this. Or did a Lord of the Rings adaptation a year after this. I looked into the, the animated Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Have you seen it? I I've only seen bits and pieces. I don't. Yeah. Never it, seen it. it looks interesting. Yeah. I don't. Wasn't John Hurt the one of the voices in there? Which is it? It's Possibly. funny. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, he was. He was Aragorn. He was good. Interesting. It's still funny to think that was the first version of that story when they brought the screen. It might. It reminds me, like, how many attempts do they think they made before, or to adapt Lord of the Rings before they uh, did this? Before the Peter Jackson. One. Yeah, before the, not before the Peter Jackson one, before the Ralph Bakshi one. Like, oh yeah, yeah. Because I remember Dune is one of those books too, where they, where they got so many different people to make it that they've got, tried to got Matt. Like, there's a whole documentary about Alejandro Jodorowsky trying to make Dune. Dune, like, it was gonna be 14 hours long and it had Pink Floyd doing the soundtrack. Back like, in Salvador Dali. Yes, the surrealist painter Salvador Dali was gonna be one of the cast members. Remember, was in a, so cool. the opening shot was gonna go on for like ten minutes. Like, God, I wish there and this got made. Yeah, this is it's the holy grail of unmade movies, in my opinion. Have you seen the David Lynch Dune? Yeah, I've seen it. I I should like or you know, like a it's a mixed bag more so than Wizards is because at least Wizard or in Wizards congeals together somewhat. It's more coherent. Yeah, the problem is David or in Lynch is trying to adapt a book that or that cannot either cannot fit into one movie or just can't. Yeah, some, mean, something cannot a lot, be adapted. I think he he gets the book. Let's put it this way: the original author, he thought the film was a decent adaptation. Adaptation. I think that's pretty much the only blessing that we need. I'm looking forward to the next. Oh, adaptation. The, the, the the Denis Villeneuve version. Yes, I am too. I'm ready too. I'm wondering if they're even gonna be able to crack this because it's it's a book that it's influential. It's undeniably even Lucas did credit as an influence on Star Wars, but it is starchy and dry in spots. Yeah, like there is a lot of world building set to a very specific payoff. Or in payoff, or in payoff, but if you don't get any or either right, then you do, then you really can't adapt it. Yeah, and some things can't be adapted to yeah. into film. It's different mediums exist for different reasons, of course. Exactly. Going back, okay, going back to Star Wars and Wizards for a second. Uh, George Lucas and uh was actually a lo- had a small hand in this, not too much. Like he's not credited, but uh, he is the reason why it's only called Wizards because the original title was going to be War Wizards, and this came out five months before Star Wars. They didn't. They were talking. They were actually actually admir- admiring each other's work. And at the time, like, hey, I should probably change this just so we don't get mixed up. Your thing, like, no, no, it's fine. I actually think it's cool. Well, I think it was Bakshi's insistence, not Lucas's, to stay with wizards. Yeah, no, to go with wizards instead of war wizards because they do, they wanted it to be uh, easy to separate. Not. It's like when people are in two movies with similar titles and premise, just come yeah. out at the same time. And uh, Mark Hamill's in it. Oh yeah, he is a. Two- oh yeah, I almost forgot about that. This is his. I think his first role on screen. He's wow. not. He's not one of the main characters. He's a little uh, fairy. Or fairy. I think his name is Sean. I think he's oh. another small character. Yeah, he's only. He only has like three three lines of dialogue. If I'm not. Yeah. Thinking, like, but it's it distinctly is distinctly Mark Hamill. Yeah, you can. Oh, you can tell it's him. I was gonna say. I remember people thinking of his uh, work with Star Wars and everything else he's done with animation is separate. I'm like he's always had his foot in the ground and he's always been doing interesting work. Yeah. Exactly. I remember there's one film he did immediately after Star Wars called uh, Corvette Summer, which is 
really, really good, and I'd love to show you that sometime. It's an underrated little teen comedy, and one of the few movies set in Las Vegas that doesn't ju that doesn't just show the casino. I mean, so it's like it actually spends a good amount of time in the What's desert. Corvette Summer. Uh, Warner Archive has the Blu-ray, I think. And the speaking of which, uh, I remember learning a lot of the trivia, like the War Wizards, everything in the George Lucas bit from the special features on the Blu-ray. I got it for um, I don't know, fifteen bucks a couple years ago. Nice. You know, there's a lot of good stuff on the the extra. I was just hearing that Ralph Bagsy talk about his craft. He's not pretentious about it at all. At all, he talks like a New York cab driver, probably because he did grow up or he grew up around those circle circles. You can tell just by stuff like Heavy Traffic, which is very autobiographical, mm -hmm. and a lot like stuff like Coonskin and Fritz the Cat, which we will probably not get up yeah. into at least not right in, now. I looked into that also. Yeah, That's good. he's of a very specific breed of like the underground. Another reason I bring out the whole comics uh, cross correlation with the animation is because. I mean, because he remind a lot of his stuff reminds me of underground comics like Fritz the Cat and Robert Crumb, Randy Crumb, the I mean, this kind of slice of life, Harvey Picard, American Splendor. I think it comes from the same background, one that's really not traditionally versed in in uh, fantasy or work, which I think makes the perspective on this all the more fascinating. This is a distinctly cartoon, adult cartoon. Animation. Yeah, not only adult cartoon, but an urban grit to it. Like the opening yes, scene, yes. I mean, the scene has a piece the Red Rain Robot write, writing this. Um, doesn't look like a horse, but it's like, like a hog type. Yeah, like kind of, kind of like a kangaroo looking thing. I mean, I think throughout the city streets, and there's clearly like prostitutes and fairy wings and guys getting drunk. I mean, drunk is that there's still some thing grounded in texture, and it has like a, t I mean, a slime to it, but, but not in a sleazy exploitative way. More in I mean, like an urban. More, I mean, more like this was made in a basement, I mean, by a guy who got I mean, who would stayed up till one a.m. listening to, I mean, Starship Trooper while smoking weed kind of way. <laughs> but dope. Yeah. Well, I would consider this a diamond in the rough. By oh, far. oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. That's a lot about Ralph Bakshi's movie. Movies is that you could. I think it works better in the broad strokes than it does in the whole. Like the movie, the movie's ending is almost completely anticlimactic. I yeah. mean, like, like you mentioned the rotoscope thing. I get that's a problem, and I don't think it. Here's the thing. I think it more. It gets the job done, but it doesn't work. If that makes sense. Exactly. I mean, like it. Exactly. It doesn't get confusing. It just doesn't look. It doesn't get confusing. Like you can tell. Oh, this is the bad guys, and they cut back. To, to the heroes and looks animation, so it doesn't look totally incongruous, and it's visually separable, and it doesn't make the action incoherent. But it also doesn't blend well, and it's clearly something done for money issues. And it's—I would consider it somewhat distracting. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I can see. But it look, I think he does some of his version of Lord of the Rings too, with uh, the Ring Race and the Nazgul. Although I think that works a lot better because because it looks a lot more uh, in t in tune with what Tolkien had in mind. Yeah, in like, mind, with, like these black shadow-looking ghosts. Yeah. It makes complete sense for that. Ralph I think uh, the best film he did with rotoscoping has to be American Pop, which is a story about a, a family of our Russian uh, Jewish immigrants and how they relate to American pop music over the course of the 20th century, at, starting in, like, I think around Great Depression era, possibly earlier. It's been a couple of years since I've seen it. And eventually ending with, uh, with, uh, some, with a dude in a purple jacket. Yeah, it's becoming like a Neil Diamond or a Diamond Tunnel Roadshow act. That sounds interesting. Yeah, it's a interest, It's a really good movie, and I think the ending is one of my favorite moments in any animated movie. Movie just with all the colors and the energy and the pace. It feel. It feels like a rush. It feels like, yeah. Yeah. Weirdly. Oh yeah, I forgot to mention the weirdly contradictory things. Not just like the rotoscoping, but the fact that. Okay. 
the difference between the good wizard and the bad wizard is struck like one strictly sticks to magic like he's practical and kind of dogmatic about it while the other embraces technology and and war machines like they bring out old tank many tanks and machine guns well which i appreciate the thought which is an interesting commentary especially during the time like this was made okay now it's 77 yeah this was after vietnam and and but it does kind of have that specter looming over it yes absolutely like the post-Vietnam... Yeah, that kind of attitude to it, which colors everything 70s inherently. That's cynicism. Oh, yeah. Anyway, I bring that up because the ending... Uh, you expect this grand ba- battle between these two wi- wizards. Like, okay, this time, the time has come for them to duel, and uh, it ultimately ends with with uh, the, the good wizard pulling out a pistol and just shooting him. Yeah. Oh, spoilers. <laughs> Seems very yeah, anticlimactic. It, not only anticlimactic, but wait, what's this deal with the whole technology is more at least superior to, te- or to magic's, ma- more. magic's more at least superior to technology thing? If you're just gonna v- result in that, I mean, everything has more really shades of gray, I guess. Yeah, and it seems like nothing really Whatever matters else at night. in this film, in the most nihilistic way. I wouldn't say it's a nihilistic film. Like not. Not. There's bits not of it that are film, pretty like, dark. Like it doesn't take itself. The bad guy does motivate his armies through Nazi propaganda, like slow. Which is kind of disturbing. To watch. Yeah, which I think it, it's supposed to be disturbing. I think it's yeah. intentionally. I mean, like I remember his goal was to show how propaganda corrupt, really corrupts everything, even at its most primal level. Yeah. Which I don't think is the mo- or most well communicated, but the idea is there, and I think it's fa- fascinating to see in this kind of anime, this kind of fantasy movie. But not, I wouldn't consider the film to be nihilistic, but it just doesn't take itself seriously. Oh, not at all. I mean, the fact, I mean, the fact that there's constantly like weird little detail, I mean, weird details like um, the president looking like the, wearing this fucking clown mask before getting sh- I mean, shot, I mean, shot funny. two minutes later. It's weird. yeah, there's a lot of like a lot of an anach- a lot of anachronistic uh, visual and music choice. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah, the state of a modern adult animation, which. I think it is starting to c- not come back to this style because every style has its own time and place, and it only come- it'll come back in a fashion, but it won't be the same. Hey, but the fact that we are doing more adult animation that isn't just strictly comedy yes. is it's nice. It isn't like we're getting stuff like Anomalisa. There's this uh, French animated film on Netflix I just watched the other night with my roommate called uh, I Lost My Body. It's only like tw- eighty minutes. You can knock it out in a night. Yeah, in an afternoon. I'll it's definitely a- check that out. Um, what have you seen lately? With uh, in regards to adult animation. There are obviously Spider Verse, which might not be adult animation, but it does have that comic cr- animation crossover appeal. And it's just a great film. It is. It's pretty great. It is. Pre- it wasn't on my top ten of that no. that year, but it is pretty pretty good. Yeah. Like I get why people. I mean, like I don't love it obsessively, but yeah, that was. Good. I mean, I was satisfied. I'm like, okay, I get why this is becoming a phenomenon. No, like I respect it more than I like it. If that makes any sense. Exactly. I would agree. And it, as for anything recent. I'm tra- I'm struggling to think of anything. Anything I've seen, re- at least animation. So, I watched okay. uh, a few episodes of Off the Air last night. Oh, Adult Swim, nice. Yes. Night. Adult Swim is yeah. just all around a great, great. Kind I of finally thing. watched Spinal Tap the other night. Oh, really? Yep. Yeah. Oh boy, what that. Good? I loved it. Yeah. I love. I wanted to do a mockumentary. Yep. I saw Guy Ritchie's new movie last night. Really? The Gentleman, and boy, that was. That was fun. It's nice to have Guy Ritchie making Guy Ritchie movies again. Yeah. Instead of stuff like that Aladdin remake and the King Arthur movie. Yeah. Why'd they get him to make, I mean, make Aladdin or King Arthur? Why? They had to be been paycheck gigs. My uh, favorite Guy Ritchie would definitely be the uh, Sherlock Holmes. I'm okay with those. I'm okay. Yeah. I've never, I've never met... I'm more ambivalent to them. Yeah. Like, Snatch... I'm not even the biggest fan of stuff like Snatch, but I did at least acknowledge, okay, this is a unique thing. I always thought uh, Matthew Vaughn, who actually produced a, his first couple movies... 
he's ended up being the more interesting filmmaker. And actually ended up working better in the studio system with stuff like Kingsman and Kick-Ass. And he also did a movie called Stardust with Michelle Pfeiffer and like this fantasy movie, although it's a lot more... Cla- it. It's classier than that, than Wizards is. Far. You, know, you saw The Lighthouse recently, didn't you? I did. I loved it. Yeah, I liked I it too. It. I really like. We might have to talk, devote a whole episode to that in a couple. Oh of, yeah, it made me like the. Witch I want to so wait though. More. I don't want to feel like off the cut. Like give it some time, give it some distance. Yeah, let it breathe. Oh, I definitely want to watch it. I haven't seen again. it since I first saw it back in November, but I can't wait to see it now that it's on video. Oh yeah, I'm gonna get a copy. The best way I can describe it for me personally is that it feels like a richly textured novel. Yes. Like a novel, like you'd feel the in the sea air even when you leave the theater. And I think that's executed well through the. Um, Black and white. Yeah. And oh yeah. Cinematography. Here's the thing. A lot of people like right now like love to like go through old aesthetics. Like this thing was it's from the eighties or the nineties, but it's like VHS filters and nothing that like that, and they don't actually really commit to the look. This commits the look full wholeheartedly. It's got the ratio. It's got not just in black and white. It gets the textures. It gets the light thing. The shot composition. Like there's a shot of just uh, Robert Pattinson just walking in the water that looks like something out of Nosferatu, or two or Meshes of the Afternoon or one of those early horror films. And it it, it takes it takes a lot of things from yeah, like everywhere cool. like greek mytho- greek mythology yeah the, right i remember put all the po- oh the poseidon rant oh oh god it's, i mean god like the, we'll, i remember we'll, we'll definitely have to devote an episode yeah, to this film the best way, way i've heard some anyone else describe it is someone when, on letterboxd called do metal herman melville the like what if moby dick was written by a guy who was really into i don't know death grips or something so i'm yeah. like okay yeah that makes sense yeah that yeah. makes i think robert eggers is doing a remake of nosferatu still like he, that was announced after The Witch came. And I'm really fascinated to see what he'd do with that. I loved The Witch. Yeah. I was fine with The Witch, but I think The Lighthouse is the better movie. But oh, yeah. By leaps and bounds. I mean, movie. as of right now, I'd say they're about equal. He I, reminds I me of, them. He reminds me of guys like Guy Maddox. And, and, and like his commitment to the old aesthetic. That, or Panos Cosmatos, where they are very clearly committed to old aesthetics, but they pull something completely new out of Looking back to look forward is the best way I like to think of it. But not just old aesthetics, it's... Most definitely a period piece. Oh, yeah. Like the dialogue yeah. is so spot on. Yeah, I like the way it's shown. I do admire that. I remember people said that was a problem with The Witch and said it was for The Lighthouse. I didn't have that problem, actually, at all. With, I had it with The Witch, but I didn't have it with this. I mean, I think that was partially intentional for The Witch. Like, you because don't it's know supposed to be confu- well, yeah, like, confusing. Yeah, you don't know what they're talking about. Anxiety-inducing. Yeah, just because the... Um, the yeah. dialects were so. It's dated. supposed to give you like, who can I actually trust? It's supposed to get get a sense of mistrust. Like, I don't think I know what's going on, just because you don't know what they're talking about. Actually, actually, I think Ralph actually wanted to do. There's a movie he did that's kind of notorious for ending his career and just generally being terrible. It's called Cool World. Was that his last film? His last theatrically released film. Oh, okay. Let's just say that. And that he did a short a couple years ago called Last Days on Coney Island, and he did a made-for-TV movie that was all live action with uh, Jared Leto and uh, Alicia Silverstone. Mm. From the late 2000s, late, not late 2000s, late 90s, but yeah, this is a really cool world's movie that killed, you, it was really supposed to be an, an animated horror movie about a cartoon character being stuck in the real, I mean, being like this combination of a real person and uh, a cartoon character's DNA, like it was a, a really dark idea and I really, and you can tell that from the animation, yeah, it looks like a movie that feels like a nightmare. And it's clear that the studio sabotaged what he wanted to do because they wanted to go something lighter, a little something easier to sell because Roger Rabbit had just happened. Happen and they yeah. were clearly wanted to go that route, so. But it reminds me of how much fun it is to look at, look at movies that obviously haven't made and looking behind the productions, but it's even more fun to look at the stuff that just never got through. Like, uh, like Kerry Fukunaga's draft of It before, uh, uh-huh. before uh, Andre Muschietti got brought in. Yeah. Anyway, 
So that's Wizards. It's an interesting little, oh yeah, little movie. If, Definitely worth if you're checking anim- out. If you're an animation fan, seek it out. It's, I a think, cult classic in animation. Yeah. I think I remember. Uh, I think Adventure Time was partially influenced by. I remember. I can definitely see that. I read it on IMDb trivia, so who knows how reliable it is? But the the similarities are there, are totally there. Like the fact Absolutely. that both of these are like or these high fantasy, or see concepts or dri- driven from obvious, really post-apocalyptic nuclear annihilation. Like, annihilation. It's more subtle and slightly seriously. more subtle Adventure Time, slightly, and it's more, mainly because that's more upbeat and. Dr- yeah, it's far darker than Adventure yeah, Time. Yeah, it's darker. It's weird. It's it's shaggy and loose, and it's un. Shaggy and loose would be a good way to describe this film. I think I hate pe- uh, the, this idea that I mean, fil- the only good way to judge a film is by its story. Uh, I mean, yeah, which that's, we not, go, that's not entirely yeah, no. true. I know mean, because it's you're missing. It's the ultimate example of missing the forest for the tree. Because yeah. if you don't like, because there is good stuff in, in here. It's like trying. Yep. It's but the diamond in the rough is the perfect phrase for this movie. There's more film than just story or plot. Yeah, yeah story is just a catalyst, yes, I think. exactly. Character, I think, is always more important. Character and mood. Or in mood and idea. It's not, what's the film about? No, if you tell me the story, I'm like, no, no, what's the film about? Yeah. Like, something like that. Like, even if it's not fully it's fleshed out, it's at least who... interesting. It'll at least start a conversation. Yeah. It's and just, like, clearly developed ideas yeah. is what really makes a film. Yeah. Just, like, if you want it to be about... A certain place in time, or about this certain action or storyline. Yeah. All right. Speaking of films and their time and moment, what are we going to be talking about next week, Ryan Chandler? Next week we'll be talking about Under the Silver Lake. Hell yes, I am excited excited to talk about that. By far, my well, not by far, but my favorite movie of this past year. It might be one of my top ten of the last decade. Oh, it's legitimately my favorite movie last year. Although it's debatable because it. It toured at film festivals and then at A24 del- delayed like three times. I would I would put it in like the top ten of my favorite movies of all time. Fair enough. I'm wondering how it's gonna because it's a movie that is designed to be rewatched, but not in the ways everyone's talking about. Yeah, like I would. I would we'll get to this it, in like, the actual episode. So, but it is a movie with so much to pick apart. Apart oh, that you so much. Yeah, really, not in the Easter egg kind of way, like the ideas yeah, that like, said Easter eggs raised and like all the stuff on the print. Fringe. Just, just, idea Easter it's eggs. a yeah it's it's so, another movie that is very clearly of its time but is also pulling from a wide variety of things throughout history until then i'm jack rourke and Chandler williams we're here we're we're warp celluloid and hope and we hope you'll enjoy listening to this episode we promise these will eventually be longer than 30 minutes <laughs> yes eventually for now for now far out peace out